I'm the best there is at what I do. This statement, while being a catchphrase of X-Men's Wolverine, might also be the mantra many of us general classroom teachers subconsciously bring into our spaces. This approach, however, often leads to friction with one another. You've probably heard someone utter the truism, two heads are better than one, or I'm sure you've also heard the other one, too many cooks in the kitchen spoil the broth. The reason both of these phrases have stuck around in our vernacular is because they're both relevant, and that goes for co-teaching partnerships as well. How can two teachers with different backgrounds and experiences combine their strengths and honor each other's expertise to best serve their students' needs? The GLG has you covered by bringing you a two-parter that balances both the light and the dark in co-teaching. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, La Capitana Casey Veach, team skeptic and idea slinger of spaghetti, Emily Coquelin, and me, clarifying the GLG butter, Jenny Labrie. Teachers might as well have superpowers given everything they do, planning, teaching, assessment, supporting the social emotional needs of students, communicating with the parents. We put so much of ourselves into planning and designing learning experiences that are truly worthy of helping students reach their full potential. Well, as with many superhero narratives, occasionally fate introduces a sidekick into the story. The sidekick is here to help support the hero by providing extra hands and tools to save the day. Unfortunately, this is what happens when two certified, equally skilled teachers are paired together in a co-taught classroom. One becomes the hero and one becomes the sidekick. Instead, we will provide strategies to help co-teaching pairs shift from being Batman and Robin to being the Avengers, a team who assembles as equals to drive student growth. And so it is with that, our intention for this dynamic duo of episodes is to first share co-teaching tips for successful program implementation, and then in our follow-up episode, to dig in with a metaphor-bolstered example, you know, as we do, on what can be done to support a team that's struggling. So here we are, guys, jumping into the next one. This is going to be a new format for us. Yeah, we've, yes. we've never done a two-parter before, but I think we're ready to jump in. So this is my second time trying to facilitate. And I say trying to facilitate because this is typically not my role. But the reason why I'm jumping in on this one is because Casey's going to bring in, man, she's got the metaphor connections for us in these two <laughs> episodes. And Emily, you've got the co-teaching. So that by default <laughs> means that here I am taking my hand at the facilitator role. So we yes. ready to dive in. Uh, we're ready to dive in, so. but I would say for any of you listeners who are looking to understand Jenny's discomfort with superheroes, you'll want to listen to that pop culture playground episode from the previous summer. Uh, <laughs> the Marvel Way to call one. me out on it. <laughs> Sorry, she's Jenny. like she's like Captain America after sixty years. I do not understand that <laughs> reference. <laughs> It's so true. Oh, I'm just going to roll with it, you guys. I'm leaning in hard. All right. Go for it. Sorry. (laughs) Right under the bus there. No, that's all right. I can handle it. So let's dive in. In this topic, like we said, we're going to start with this particular episode in the land of good and what is superheroes in general and what does it mean for co-teaching when it really is working well. So let's dive in first with why it even exists. We're working to provide all of our students with the best learning experience possible with solid learning and rigor in the least restrictive environment. So we want students getting core instruction in regular 
classes, but students who might need an additional hand on deck for some extra support, some maybe more one-on-one or small group time. That's where we work to have a co-teacher in that classroom to try to make sure individual student needs are met while still keeping them learning in that highest level and least restrictive environment possible. It's law right? Oh, the yeah. <laughs> Individuals with Disabilities Education Act that was enacted, I believe, in the early 90s. It is legislative that students must be in the least restrictive environment, meaning we want to minimize as much as possible self-contained courses. And we know that that's just good teaching practice in general, having kids with a variety of ability levels in the same space, because that benefits all kids who understand things, have the ability to explain things in different ways to kids who maybe are striving students, but also that gives those high flyer students an opportunity to share their thinking and solidify their own learning as well. So it is mandated, yes, by law, but it is also good practice as well. And way to bring in our educational law that we had to take that course together. (laughs) Way to pull that together. That was your favorite course, wasn't it? It had such potential, didn't it? It had such potential. But but I mean, too, I know, Emily, you are actually in a co-teaching partnership. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think also for the past two years, you've had the amazing opportunity to coach a number of co-teaching pairs as well. So you've gotten to build your skills a lot. And I've actually invested some time over the past six months or so doing some similar coaching with co-teachers and boosting my skills. So yes, Jenny, it was the law class for (laughs) IDEA, but it's been really great to see what co-teaching can and could look like in authentic practice. Well, that's great. Way to help me out on the segue there, Veach, because it goes right into our next segment when we're thinking about co-teaching expectations. What's there? Mm -hmm. What's out there that we need to know when we're thinking about that pairing and what does it look like in the classroom? So I think we may want to throw a qualifier in there to begin with is that the expectations, that's the ideal, right? That's the Mm -hmm. ideal state. So we want to throw that out there because again, every co-teaching pair is striving for this, but we're all in different places as far Mm -hmm. as how the implementation of these expectations actually looks and how initially successful folks can be about that. More on that later. I'm probably Mm tiptoeing into other sections like I always do. So (laughs) (laughs) what I would say is like one of the first ones I can think of is like that equal participation. So the thought is that both co-teachers are going to be participating fully in the instructional process. There's not a sideline sitter as we, you know, as we said in the intention, Mm -hmm. there's not going to be a sidekick and a hero that both of the co-teachers are fully participating in the instructional process. And if there is a pair that's set up with a generalist and a specialist, that the generalist would be focusing on the content, on the curriculum, the specialist would be on facilitating like Mm -hmm. inclusive instruction. So again, supporting the students who need that extra support to keep them in that least restrictive environment. Yeah, I would echo what you're saying, Emily, when it comes to sharing instructional space. And space doesn't have to just mean the physical classroom that both teachers have their own teacher space or both teachers' names on the door. It's actually sharing instructional space from the facilitation angle. So it's not just the teacher A show and then the teacher B walks around the room and is the vulture making sure students are on task. That is helpful, but ultimately they're both sharing 
instructional space from physical space, actual presentation, but also assessment. Who is and how are they managing assessment? Yes, that is what I was going to possibly jump in and say too, is that that instructional process goes beyond just the FaceTime with students. Mm -hmm. It's not just the assessment as well, but the instructional design and lesson planning, right? Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that both teachers are equal participants in that process and figuring out what class is going to look like, facilitating that instruction, and then assessing the students. They both want to have a role in every step of that process and have systems set up that make that successful for them. Spoiler alert. So what else is out there? Well, I think another thing to keep in mind that ties into the shared instructional space, Emily had mentioned that usually in pairs, there's a generalist or a core teacher, and then there's a specialist. It's also important that both teachers share students equally in the sense that not just the students who've been identified as needing special education support, those students should not only go to the special education teacher. There should be a mixing up of student groups because in an ideal co-teaching partnership, no student knows which child has an IEP or an individualized education plan. The teachers both know, but they're in no way, shape, or form should there be only the kids who need extra help going with the special education teacher. I'm so glad you said that because I was just thinking back to our Lizzo episode when one of the connections Mm -hmm. that we made this past summer, Mm -hmm. that's where you did the little teaser of, hey, in season three, we're going to be doing co-teaching. And Emily's like, Mm -hmm. oh, Casey, you just laid down and we're going to have to really do this episode now. So. Yes. But you, that was the connection you made yep. was whichever Lizzo song you would know is where you couldn't tell. Yes. Yes. That was from girls, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Where my girl's at It's yes. because you're able to fluidly share mm-hmm. instruction. Mm-hmm. Yes. But also fluidly share students as well. Yes. I love that because in theory, how are you providing that least restrictive environment if mm-hmm. you are restricting which teacher they have access to or spend the most of their time with? Correct. There's still a, a border there that you want to try to remove. Mm-hmm. I, I love how you put it. Like you could walk into the classroom and no one would know. The students don't know. Mm-hmm. Any casual observer or even observing administrator isn't necessarily aware which of the kids have IEP mm-hmm. and which ones don't because they're all getting support check-in and FaceTime with both of the mm-hmm. co-teachers. You bring up a really good look for in thinking of our leaders that go into classrooms. If you go into a classroom and you really cannot tell who is who, then you know that that is a highly functional co-teaching relationship. On the contrary, if you go in there and you can tell, then you might notice that that's a really good indication that there might be something breaking down. And maybe there are some strategies that you can put together to make that a better situation for not only the students, but also the teaching partnership. Yes. Since you mentioned strategies, I also would want to mention that both co-teachers generally are expected to employ evidence-based practices. Mm -hmm. So again, even though they are keeping the groups heterogeneous and trying to make sure that they have FaceTime with both the kids, that they're pulling evidence-based strategies from where their expertise lies. So content teacher is pulling evidence-based practice within that content area. The specialist would be employing evidence-based practices from their specialization, whether it's special ed or EL, they're bringing in the practice that they know work. And again, applying them with all of the students in the class. Really good point. I think it's also important to note that in terms of co-teaching expectations, all students' potential is fully realized. And when it comes to students who have IEPs, there's also both teachers 
providing both the accommodations and the modifications that are outlined in that particular student's IEP to meet and help that student reach their full potential. Yeah, thank you for bringing up that idea. It is really important that both co-teachers have a shared role in making sure that those students' needs are getting met. For example, my co-teacher and myself at the beginning of the year, we create a spreadsheet with each of the kids and their IEPs, their 504s, any academic or behavioral flags, just to have access to this, make sure that we're on the same page. And every week we check in and make sure that we are offering opportunities for each of the students to have the supports that they need, that they absolutely have to have, Mm -hmm. and make sure that we are doing right by them according to those modifications and accommodations that we have to give them. Mm -hmm. This is another segue, Emily. Perfect. Thank you guys for the lift. So you're talking about what students are needing. Let's go into that next segment then. So what do co-teachers need? When we're thinking about the ounce of prevention, when we want to be proactive rather than reactive so that we're setting our partnership of teachers up for success, what are the things that we need? Can I start with this? Please yeah. let me start. Do the it. first is clear expectations <laughs> for what yes. co-teaching is. So often leaders and systems implement co-teaching. We're going to do it because we know it's a great way for kids to get the support they need with two people in the room. But then there is no clear expectation for what co-teaching looks like and sounds like and feels like for everyone in that space. There are national co-teaching standards out there and there needs to be a meeting of leadership first and foremost. What do we want co-teaching to look like? And then on a yearly basis, because co-teaching pairs often change due to movement of personnel or student need, revisiting those expectations every single year. So it's no secrets. Everyone is on the same page. So that is first. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And break it down however you like. Like for Mm -hmm. instance, our school has it broken down in terms of yearly expectation. You do this with your co-teacher every year, set up for the year. Here's what you have to do weekly at least. And here's what you have to do daily every time. Great every day. And I think it's so helpful to have that clarity in terms of what's expected of us so that we're able to really work to have that successful implementation. We just went through those expectations. We're not trying to be like, Hey, look at the thing we just did. But on the flip side, if people don't know what they're expected to do, they flounder. They have no idea how to get started planning when they don't know what they're planning for. That equal participation and like what you mentioned, that sense of equity in the classroom where the students are all having access to their co-teachers at the same time is huge. I bet there's people out there who just heard that for the first time here. Mm -hmm. It's so ironic that you guys are talking about this. A passing conversation and working with the coaches within my district, there was a particular leader who there's many models of Mm co-teaching. They've brought in a new model and this leader herself was asking the coach about getting coaching herself, which I love. And she's like, I'd love to start a coaching cycle myself to be able to evaluate the effectiveness of this new co-teaching model. And how do we do this better for our system? So all the way from Casey, you're talking about the expectations that are needed Mm -hmm. on down, but also our leaders being really aware of this. It's really nice that this leader had such foresight to want to make it even better. It needs the intentionality from the leadership as well to make it successful. And it's almost like, well, what does that mean? And how do we do that? And of course, this person reaching out for coaching is just another example of how you can do that and partner yourself as a leader to provide the best program implementation you Mm -hmm. possibly can. 
100%. And since you mentioned intentionality of leaders, that actually made me think of something else is making intentional selections about who those pairs are. Again, I like to think that a leader who would be implementing co-teaching and creating co-teaching teams would know their teachers and know them well, maybe know some who might be more successful in this experience than others. And again, just because someone is not a good co-teacher does not mean they're not a good teacher. Right. I'll say that again. There are plenty of teachers who are great in their own classroom, but who are not capable of co-teaching. It doesn't mean they're bad teachers. It -hmm. takes a particular personality type and level of flexibility and comfort with change, which we know can be a huge struggle. We were just talking about sustainable change. And it's really important to make sure that the people that you are considering to tap on for this are people who have the potential to embrace it. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, you may want to think of who you observed in the past, think about how they teach and make sure that their instructional styles, their planning styles might be a good match. If you're not sure, ask a leader that's a little bit closer to them. Ask a coach. What would you think about putting this person on a co-teaching team? See what they say. And to echo that, just because two people get along does not mean they'll make a good co-teaching team. Sometimes the people that get along the best are the ones who struggle because neither of them wants to rock the boat or make the other Mm -hmm. person feel uncomfortable when instruction isn't necessarily matching the needs of the kids in front of them. So another thing to keep in mind, sometimes it helps to have a type A and a type B working together because they're both seeing things differently as long as they have structures and protocols in place to have those conversations and hash out where disagreements occur, which will be in our next episode. Where we yeah, it's that piece. <laughs> That's really what I was thinking. The skeptic brain that seems to be rubbing off on me from Emily hey. is if, you're, if you're, you're thinking about sometimes, okay, the coaches and us know, okay, let's just find the perfect pair that we have. But sometimes the schedule dictates who's working with who or yeah. the amount of students and what classes are there. So sometimes we don't have that luxury to be able to personality match very well. And so I think Casey, what you're talking about there is really important. There might be the eventuality that you're going to have a pair that goes together that didn't work as well, or there's friction. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to that in our follow-up episode. Yeah. I would also mention when we think about what makes a co-teaching pair successful is there has to be some front loading. So there needs Mm -hmm. to be some time before they are handed this group of students to talk about their instruction and to talk about their plans for the year and just talk to each other. And again, it doesn't just have to be besties just chatting, probably more importantly, they need to be talking about how instruction is going to look in their classroom. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've noticed through the coaching experiences that I've put together for co-teaching teams, that's been really successful, bringing up hypothetical situations before they Mm -hmm. even have students and asking them to work hypothetically through that. What would you do if you were told a student needs a little extra time to make up their grades at the end of the semester? How would you handle that? How would you handle it if you both have a really busy week coming up and you have a major assessment? to do. Asking questions about grading, questions about class management, Mm -hmm. all in the hypothetical sense. So the pressure is not on them where they have to act in the moment and they're not dealing about it with real kids, but they get a sense of each other's values and style, so to speak, by talking about some of these hypothetical scenarios. So as someone who has worked to train or onboard co-teach and design some of those experiences, some time to chat, even in the land of the hypothetical can be so helpful for when those situations aren't hypothetical anymore. You got to prepare. Giving 
space during those initial conversations to identify and clarify what each person's strengths are, Mm -hmm. what they are able to bring to the team. So one of the questions I've typically asked our co-teaching teams this year is what are your strengths when it comes to the content? Do you feel like you know the content well enough where you could take a group of students to lead them through a lesson on your own? And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes a co-teacher does not feel comfortable with the content. So there's got to be some flexibility and a different way that person can show up and share space because they need extra time to learn the content to support the kids. The other thing that I think is really important, and I know Jenny, you had mentioned sometimes schedules don't allow, but there really, really, really needs to be common plan time for these co-teaching teams. (laughs) There's no way you can really implement the models of co-teaching with fidelity unless you are giving teachers time together to plan together. There's ways you can do it asynchronously, but it does not yield the kind of results we want to see in classrooms with kids. It is not the same. And when we talk about that, you mentioned earlier, that full participation, that entire instructional process, Mm -hmm. if you want that equal participation in planning, sometimes divide and conquer isn't going to cut it. But when they're working asynchronously, they lose out on the opportunity, not just to be fair and equitable about it, but additionally, the conversations that co-teachers have together are so instrumental in what Mm -hmm. makes it successful. I cannot tell you how many times I've just started co-planning or co-assessing with my co-teaching partner. And one of us will say something and the other one will get sparked and something will happen where Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we are on a roll and getting into something that we might not have even touched on if we hadn't had that opportunity to sit for a full period and work together. We need Mm -hmm. to do that to be the best that we can be. So bringing it back into Marvel Universe, which why the hell am I even trying this? But I'm going to go there. (laughs) Casey's look at her face. She's so impressed. But like, like, what do tell Jenny? She's like leaning in closer to the mic. (laughs) It could burn, but maybe you could take it and fly with it. Mm -hmm. But when you're thinking about that common plan time, like the Avengers assembling, they're going to need some time to get to what's their home base, their lair. What do we what do we call that? What would that be? Oh gosh, Stark Tower. Avengers headquarters, Avengers Tower. Something like that, right? They're going to need that Otherwise, they're just going into battle and it's not going to be good. So, Well, and you see it. Like you see it in the movies. And I know you hate Tony Stark, so don't at me, Beach. But (laughs) I'm thinking of how Stark and Banner get together and their technology and they're making things float around. Mm -hmm. And they're like, the ideas are flying and you can see that they're in flow and like work is getting done. And it's probably Mm -hmm. not the same work that either one of them would have been doing on their own. And I also refer to the particular magic of Avengers movies when they are together Mm -hmm. with some of the solo outings, not necessarily as easy for them to fight without their partners. You're often going like, man, it would be nice if Hulk was in this movie. (laughs) So we have talked a lot about what co-teachers need and this preventative, proactive approach. And I would say probably the thing that Casey, I know you mentioned even as we were preparing for this episode, but I've also seen it in my own learning and practices. Like what are the models of co-teaching that Mm -hmm. we need to know about? What's out there? What's available to teaching partnerships that are co-teaching? What are they? And also what do they look like? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with the one that is most common, just because it becomes the natural given those 
issues about unclear expectations and lack of common planning time, the one that's most common is one teach, one assist. You have the general education teacher up at the front delivering the same lesson they delivered for three consecutive periods in the secondary world. And then the co-teacher is in helping from one student to the next, remind them where they are or asking questions that maybe a student is a little bit too shy or embarrassed to ask. That's one teach, one assist. Another model is actually an offshoot of that, which is one teach, one observe. So many of our students with IEPs, there's specific data collection required so that a special education teacher or a case manager can refine a student's IEP goals. And during the one teach, one observe model, the specialist or the special education teacher is collecting that observational data and recording it during instruction. So those are the two most common initial models for co-teaching. Emily, which ones come to your mind? This one's going to be near and dear to your heart, but station teaching comes Mm -hmm. up. So like putting it in my world of teaching English, I mentioned this as an example on another occasion. For instance, if I were to be taking a group of students and be working through some of their writing and working on the citations, I've got experience there from the library world, working on integrating the quotes and making sure that the citations are looking good. And then if my co-teaching partner was working with some group on their grammatical and writing structures, and then if there were some even independent work or peer work that they could be doing in another station, even where they would be talking about the content, asking questions Mm -hmm. about what they're reading and figuring out where they could maybe flesh out their ideas a little bit more. So using different areas where we are creating these stations where students can do work again with that equal participation. And they're all going to visit all these stations eventually if they want to hit all of those criteria for success. However, we want to make sure that we're setting those stations up. So those of us who have blended near and dear to our hearts, hearts. like you, Jenny, will be a fan of that model. Uh, Similar to station, but not necessarily all three groups are working on different things. We then have alternative. Let's say you have some students who underperform on a particular assessment and the co-teaching pairs determine that some kiddos need some additional supports. One of the co-teachers will pull a small group to provide reinforcement or even enrichment while additional students are being retaught the lesson. So that's considered alternative teaching. There's a separate lesson going on to either enrich or remediate some students who need extra support. For anyone who's doing one teach, one assist, I've found the easiest way to level up your co-teaching practice is to shift to parallel. Parallel co-teaching is when both teachers deliver the exact same lesson at the same time. And what this does is it lessens the student to teacher ratio. So more kids, number one, feel more comfortable to share and engage because instead of a class of 24, it's 12 and 12. The other benefit is a teacher is able to do a quicker spot check and formatively check where students are at with a smaller number in front of them. The caveat with this is making sure that you separate groups and you vary the number of groups that are going with each teacher. One of the teams we're working with right now is they actually separate kids by unit or each module they do in math. They go with the teacher A and teacher B 
and then the next module they switch. So there is that concept that no kid really knows who is the specialist and who mm-hmm. is the generalist and mm-hmm. who needs extra support. Another one of the models I find myself dropping into quite a bit is teaming. That's one where both of the teachers are delivering the same content and there's flow between them in terms of Mm -hmm. who is delivering that instruction and how they're delivering it. However, you are going to see that as that lesson progresses, the teachers hand the proverbial ball back and forth very fluidly. That is one that takes a lot of practice and a lot of time together the improvisationalist in me likes doing that, (laughs) but that's a hard one. So I don't Mm -hmm. want to be like, oh yeah, let's everybody use this model now. Yeah. I think (laughs) when we talk about doing that, you have to have a good rapport and sense of fluidity and understanding of your instruction. And like you said, Casey, early on with expectations, what your strengths are so that you know when to flow back and forth to maybe another one of your areas of strength and how you deliver that lesson. But if you're able to do it, it is a good way to have a lesson where things have that nice coverage of both teachers working with all of the students in in an equal way. It sounds like you really need to know each other and have bonded and work together. Mm -hmm. And you really need to know your staff (laughs) in order to be able to fluidly pass back and forth. Another less utilized model, and this will be the last one, is complementary. In that case, you have one co-teacher leading the lesson, and then the other co-teacher is actually providing metacognitive strategies or some of those small processing or executive functioning tools during the lesson so that all students can benefit from them. But it can feel a little bit choppy if not planned out well, or if the physical placement is weird, like you could have kids ping-ponging back and forth if one's in the back of the room, one's at the front. Mm -hmm. So that's, for me, one of the harder ones to see in action done well. Yeah. Tricky, tricky, Mm -hmm. but important because when you think about kids that end up in co-talk classes, and especially like when we think about the students in those classes that do not have an IP, do not have a 504, a lot of times you're still seeing students across the board. And guess what? In post-pandemic, there's a lot of this kids struggling with executive functioning, kids struggling with that metacognitive process. This is an opportunity to really lift them in those skills. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's tricky to implement. You guys, that's so much. It's so much there. And this is why, folks, we decided that we're going to put this into two episodes. At first, we were like, we're going to do this in one. And then as soon as we went through the models, we're like, we really want to dive into those models. Oftentimes, they're overlooked and they shouldn't be overlooked because we really want to know what's out there. And like you said, Casey, you're talking about leveling up in specific Mm -hmm. co-teaching models but we got to be able to talk about them. So that's what we wanted to wrap up in this episode. And we're going to be coming back for more when it comes to when the co-teaching goes wrong. But before we do, why don't we jump into a game? Because, you know, we got to have a game. Yes. So games are here, Casey, bringing back the directions for the game. (laughs) We're going to bring back one of our oldies from season one, and that is the This or That Superhero Edition. So first, we're going to be looking at the different Spider-Mans. So the first Spider-Man, this or that, Peter Parker or Miles Morales. So you pick one, you say why. Pick one and you say why. Yes, ma'am. I have strong feelings about this, so don't come for me. Tom Holland stands, but I'm a Miles Morales girl. Yes, me too. He's the only freaking Spider-Man I like. Oh, my gosh. He is 
is so innocent in the same way like baby Tom Holland, Peter Parker is, but he also is very street smart and intelligent and so quirky and awkward. Mm -hmm. I just love him so much. And he is the best. And if you haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, what are you doing with your life? Go watch it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That would be me. Sorry, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) Casey, anything to add to Miles Morales? There's just something more complex about the Miles Morales character than Peter Parker. Peter Parker is just like, oh, look at the little cute teenager, goody two shoes who lost his family. It's fine. It's very trope (laughs) to me, but Miles Morales has much more dimension. And I think it taps into some socioeconomic issues as well. And so if you're looking for a more complex Spider-Man Miles Morales is for you. Only one I like. (laughs) So for mine, I am not only going to cheat, but I am also essentially forfeiting. (laughs) Oh, no. My (laughs) choice for this. When we're talking about spider heroes, Uh I choose Charlotte from Charlotte's Web. (laughs) (laughs) Can I do that, please? She's Some my spider. Pig, she's right? my yeah. yes, she's my spider hero. Yeah, to be <laughs> fair, that is a supernatural power. I would say that she displays yes. the likes of which have not been seen in the non-fictional universe. Arachnid so, universe. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so you crazy cheater, I'm gonna give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Casey's the czar, so I defer. Okay. Yeah, that was a terrible answer. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're getting back into what Casey was really disappointed in me with the Twilight stuff. So yeah, we're just going to move on to the so next bad. one. That's <laughs> not Twilight no bad. That's okay. not Twilight bad, but it's no, all right. Charlotte's Web at least is a good book. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I will yeah. give you that. <laughs> all right. What's all the right. next one? Yeah. Next this or that. So we're going to shift from Marvel Spider-Man into the DC verse. And that is through Batman. So we referenced him in our opening. So this or that Christian Bale, Ben Affleck, or Michael Keaton as the Batman Uh, qualifier. (laughs) I'm team Adam West. I watch that. I watch that every day (laughs) after school. When I was a kid, they would show the reruns and I thought it was hilarious. So yeah, here's what I'll say is Adam West is the only Batman to ever have a sense of humor about himself. True. Ever. True. But that said, since these are the choices and that wasn't provided, I'm not going to cheat. No shade, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pick Michael Keaton. I think. What I liked about Michael Keaton as Batman is I think he was really the only one that properly embodied the intelligence Mm. of somebody who could invent all of the things he had to invent and create all of the structures. And it was also more believable that he's not as like blatantly ripped because Mm. I think a lot of people would be like, oh, gee, who's got the money in the bod to pull this off? How about Bruce Wayne? He's the super famous billionaire and he's like really physically capable of doing all this stuff. Why wouldn't they have guessed a million times that Bruce Wayne is who he is? If it's always this usual suspect type, this guy who's like really physically active and totally jacked and also has all the money in the universe. So whereas Michael Keaton, he's kind of a nerd. Mm-hmm. And I like him as a nerd because yeah. I think it's not going to be everybody's automatic guess who Batman is when Batman's wearing glasses and kind of a reclusive dork. 
anyways. <laughs> I approve of that explanation. Although here's my shallowness showing uh, it, Christian Bale for me completely. <laughs> I loved the Batman trilogy. I thought it was fantastic. It was really good. And I'm going to out myself here. One of the very first movies I saw in a movie theater was Batman Forever. And I refused. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad when I saw it. But definitely Christian Bale's Batman trilogy for me. What do you think about the Batman voice? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I am the Batman. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. I am going to forfeit again because this is how much I can hang with you two because can't. But literally picking out Halloween costumes with my son on Amazon, scrolling through, and I have a six-year-old. You'd think as we're scrolling by Batman costumes that he would be intrigued. And no, he just wanted the bat costume. So (laughs) So I forfeit once again. Well, it sounds like we're going to have to watch some Batman movies on mm-hmm. our next GLG recording retreat because yeah. this just seems wrong. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. But anyways, if nothing else, we've reinforced our decision to have Jenny facilitate. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good call, y'all. <laughs> All right. So what's our taste of what's to come? Em, this one's a little bit easier than normal, huh? Yeah, I'll take it. So while we've talked about the structures that can possibly set things up for success, what co-teachers need, what different models they need to understand, that's been covered in this one. But in this two-parter, we're going to leave you on a little bit of a cliffhanger. And that is, what happens when a co-teaching team goes to the dark side? What happens when they're not getting along? They're not successfully implementing instruction in the ways that we described today. What do we do with that? Well, you'll have to tune in to the next episode. Same bat time, same bat channel. And that's a wrap. It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, The power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already, or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you at the next guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded. <laughs>